This morning, if you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, I'd like to ask you to turn to the book of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 13. We were already there last week, and we're going to... Um, I'm going to recap just not, not the whole uh, born-again teaching. I did that two weeks in a row. If, um, if you have any questions about what it means to be born again, I would invite you to, um, to go back to our... Our Facebook page, our YouTube page, our, our website, there are many ways to access our uh, previous teachings. But there are messages entitled, What It Means to Be Born Again. And um, I, I know that you will get a lot from it. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we're going to read this, <clears throat> and then we'll get into our message. When you get there, if you have the means and you're able, we... It is our uh, tradition to stand and give reverence to reading the Word of God. If you need to remain seated for health reasons, for whatever reason, stay seated. Um, but if you have the means and you're able, I would ask that you stand. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me read that one more time and I'll allow you to be seated. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? Amen. So he's writing to you and here's why he writes. So that you may know that you have eternal life. You can be seated. And we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, once again we come to you. Lord, we can do nothing without You. Father, um, unless we are born of Your Spirit, we have no power and no ability to come to You, to truly learn from You, to be changed by You. So Father, I pray this morning that first and foremost that we're, we're speaking to people who have truly been born again. Father, I pray this morning that if, if there are some here that have not been born again, Father, I pray that this is the morning that, Father, Your Spirit would would enter into their hearts and their lives and change them forever. Father, I pray this morning that as we study Your Word, Father, I pray that it would accomplish Your purpose. Father, I pray this morning that we could leave here this morning either knowing that we have eternal life or knowing that we don't have eternal life. Father, I pray that there would be no question after the study of these writings, Father, I pray, God, that every individual here would know one way or the other whether or not they are born again and have eternal life with you. That is what the purpose of this was for, and I pray that your purpose would be accomplished in us this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you again for Christ, and thank you. We know that it is only because of Him. Him and Him alone, that is the only reason that we can even come before you right now. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you accomplish your purpose, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, several years ago, um, I was, I'm glad Christy Lane's here this morning. Christy came over to the house, and um, she, uh, she was sitting down, and uh, I don't remember what we were doing, just sitting around outside, and, and I've got this little 22 that I usually carry around in my pocket, and it's a, um, just a little pistol that I keep rat shot in it. I don't know, anybody, everybody here know what rat shot is? It's just a little, um, like a little, little bitty BBs in it. If you shoot it, it's just going to blister somebody real good, really is all it's going to do. But 
I keep it in my pocket. Um, I probably shouldn't say this since y'all are recording it, but I'm going to tell you. My dogs like to run cows sometimes. And I keep it in my pocket. If needed. So, um, but... I, I like to play with it sometimes, and Christy was over at the house one day as she was sitting there in a chair, and we had these bumblebees that were uh, flying around. And you know how them bumblebees will get in front of you, and they'll just kind of hover there for a minute? Well, I took that little twenty-two pistol out, and Christy's sitting over here to the right of me, and that bumblebee's in front of me, and I took that little pistol out, and I said, pow! And that bumblebee just dropped to the ground. And Christy's eyes got about that big around she said, there ain't no way you just did that. I said, what are you talking about? She said, there ain't no way you're that good a shot that you just shot that bumblebee with that gun. And I said, okay. I said, well, just wait a minute. So we waited a minute longer and here come another bumblebee. And he was sitting there floating in front of me. I took that little pistol and I said, pow. And that bumblebee just dropped to the ground. And I'm talking about she was, it was like seeing Jesus walk on water. I mean, that's just, that's just what, I, that's what I felt Peter looked like whenever he saw it. But anyway, I didn't say a word. I thought it was so good that she was that amazed that I just let it go. And so months went by. She went home and she told Harvey, she said, Harvey, you ain't going to believe what our preacher did. And I mean, she went and she was telling everybody. And we were in a group together one night and she was still months later telling everybody about me shooting these bumblebees. And I said, Christy, I said, I got a secret to tell you. And I told her what it was and she said, oh, good gracious. And she'd been running around telling everybody. But, you know, the, the point that I'm making with that little story is we can be so easily deceived, can't we? I'm talking about it really don't take much to just convince you that something is true that's not really true. I mean, magicians make their living on misdirection and deception. I mean, they, and they have crowds show up. I, I would say there was far, there, there would, there's not many people that was more famous than Harry Houdini, right? I mean, everybody knew a Houdini. And then when you see these big magicians come up today, they make TV shows about them and crowds gather it just to watch the deception and to watch the, um, the misdirection that they put on. And it's nothing magical about it other than the fact that they have found a way to trick your eyes into believing something and trick your mind into believing something that is not really happening or is not really true. And the Bible gives us warning many places to be careful that you be not deceived and in many other places that you be careful that you don't deceive yourself. Not only can other people deceive you, but you can very easily deceive your own self. You can make yourself believe that you are somebody and you are something that you're really not. You can make other people believe that you are something and you are somebody that you are really not. And so, what we have taking place in 1 John this morning, we have both of those things taking place. We have some false teachers that have crept into this church and they are teaching doctrines that now, um, they actually, I believe, in their minds, they have convinced themselves that these are true teachings. And they believe that they have eternal life. They believe that they have a relationship with the Father. But they 
They are so far away from it, and Paul writes this letter to address these teachings so that he can do two things. Number one, he wants these false teachers to be able to examine themselves and see that there's no way I have eternal life walking in this kind of faith, believing these things. And you'll see that here in a minute. Just let me give you the introduction first. And on the other side of it, he has people that are sitting there listening to the teachings, and he wants them to be able to examine both themselves and the teachers. And he wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can see the evidence of genuine faith and eternal life in your life or it's not there. And he wants you to be able to look at your teachers and be able to see either they have eternal life, they're teaching eternal life and they're walking in the truth of eternal life or they're not. But when you get done with this letter, by the time you get to chapter 5, John just says very plainly, I write these things to you for this purpose. I want you to know that after you've read this letter, if you've examined yourself through it, there's no way you're coming to the end of it and not know whether or not you have eternal life or not. So I'm praying this morning that that's what you're looking for. I want you to examine yourself and I want you to examine me. I want you to examine your teachers and their teachings. And I want us to examine ourselves and know that what we teach, what we preach, what we walk in, and what you walk in, and what you believe, is giving you eternal life. And if not, I believe that there is a call to turn it around this morning. So I want to show you just a few things to back up what I'm saying. Look at 1 John. If you have your Bible, I pray that you've got it. I want you to stay in 1 John with me because I'm going to be flipping back and forth. I'm going to read the Scripture to you this morning, okay? I didn't come here this morning to entertain. I didn't come here this morning to try to um, uh, give you funny stories. That story just happened to line right up with what I'm trying to teach this morning. But I need you to follow along in the Word of God. So look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, and I'll show you that I'm uh, backing up what I'm saying. 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to what? Deceive you. So again, I'm just everything I've just said, I just want to give you scripture so that you see this is what John is dealing with. People have come in, they're trying to deceive, they're teaching false doctrines that do not lead to eternal life. He wants to come in, set these teachings straight, address these teachings, and make sure that you're not deceived. Alright? Let me show you another scripture. Uh, go to 2 John, one chapter over, or one book over, letter over. 2 John is only one chapter, so it's right there in verse 7. Okay? Here's another thing that he's dealing with. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. And then in verse 8 he says, what, what do you do? Watch yourself so that you do not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. In other words, He wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that you have eternal life unless indeed they lose what they have worked for. Now, he's not talking about losing their salvation. John's talking about, I've put a lot of work in you. Kevin Wells has put a lot of work into Wells Baptist Church. And I want to make sure that you get your reward because I don't want to lose what I've been working for. I want to make sure that you watch yourself and that you're not deceived. And so let's look back at the problem. 1 John chapter 2, um, verse 19 through 26. Look what he says in verse 19. Here's what he says about these false teachers. What had happened in this church, some of the people had left. Some of these teachers started teaching something and they went off and started their own congregations and people had left and they were following these teachings. So here's what he says about them in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So in other words, the point being, if you walk away to follow these false teachings, if you do not remain in the true gospel, believing who Jesus is, exactly who Jesus is, and we're going to address that here in a minute too, if you do not walk in that, but you walk away from this, then the truth of the matter is what you prove is that you were never really part of us. You prove that you never really truly believed the true gospel. You never had faith, full assurance of hope in what was preached to you. And it was evident by the fact that you walked away from it so easily to follow another gospel, another teaching. Everybody tracking with me? All right. Let me keep reading real quick in verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Can anybody tell right off what was one genuine, true doctrine they were denying? That Jesus is what? He's, they said Jesus is not the Christ. Can you be saved if you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ? So John has to address this. That you knew the truth. I delivered the truth to you is what John says. I don't write to you because you don't know it. You know that Jesus is the Christ. And anybody that denies that He is the Christ is what? A liar. Keep reading for the next part. This is the Antichrist. And that makes sense. Because if they deny Christ, what are they? Alright. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Here's another teaching that they were dealing with, and we'll look at this here in a minute. They were saying, you can have a relation... They were saying, we believe in God. We believe in God. But we don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. We don't believe that He actually came in the flesh. And so they have these false understandings about who Jesus is. We don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, is what they're saying. And here's what they're teaching. You don't have to believe that in order to have a relationship with God. 
How many people in today's society teach that there are many ways to God the Father? Just because I don't believe your way don't mean that I'm not going to be able to make it. Jesus would beg to differ. Very much so. Matter of fact, He said very plainly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. There is no other way. And so he has to address this. You can't have the Father without the Son. So in verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Alright? Whoever confesses the Son, however, has the Father also. So in verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning... In other words, you know this gospel. You heard this gospel. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Because if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And then verse 25. And this is the promise that He made to us. What is it? Eternal life. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe that Jesus came in the flesh, if you believe that He is God in the flesh, you have the Son, and if you have the Son, you also have the Father. And if you have the Son and the Father, you have eternal life. Now go back with me to 1 John chapter 1. This is why he starts the letter out the way that he does. Because remember, this is not the first time he's preached this gospel. He preached to them, but there has false teachers crept in and they started deceiving the people and the people have just started following right along. Some of them to the point that they even left. Alright? And so in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, let's just read it. Look what he says. That which was from the beginning... He's just taking them back. Listen, guys, I want to take you back to that which was from the beginning. And here's what it is. It is what we have heard. In other words, the apostles heard it first. Not only did they hear it, but they also what? We've seen it with our eyes. So in other words, you can't tell John that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. You cannot tell John that Jesus is not the Christ after what he's seen. And he says, this is what I delivered to you in the beginning. I heard it first. I saw it with my own eyes. And then he goes on, he says, which we looked upon. Not only did we see it, but what else did we do? We touched it with our hands. You remember what Thomas said? He said, I won't believe unless what? John goes back to that. He saw that. He was there. We handled him is what John says. And then he goes on, and this is concerning the word of life. The life that was made manifest. In other words, it was revealed in Jesus Christ. And we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And then look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. And what's those next two words? So that. So that. Here's why we proclaim it to, to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with who? The Father and the Son. So again, here's all he's saying. If you don't believe the true gospel, 
The gospel that we heard, that we seen, that we handled with our hands, the gospel that we know about Jesus Christ, that He was God in the flesh, that He is the Christ, that He did die for our sins, and we saw it, and we know this, and we delivered it to you. If you don't believe this, you don't have fellowship with the Son, and if you don't have fellowship with the Son, you don't have fellowship with the Father. And if you don't have fellowship with the Father and the Son, you don't have eternal life. And then he goes on and he says very plainly, I want you to know, I proclaim this to you so that you can have fellowship. In other words, he starts this thing out to say to you, if you're deceived and you're following a false truth, listen, you can be born again. If you are a false teacher and you are teaching a false truth. And this is not the only truth. This is the big one. This is the reason why when you get to 1 John chapter 5, has anybody ever been confused about that part in 1 John where he says, hey, if you see somebody sinning a sin that leads to death, don't pray for them. But there is a sin that does not lead to death. The point that he's making is this. The sin that leads to death is rejecting Jesus Christ as God in the flesh. Y'all tracking with me now? I just saw a light went off. I, I, I saw mouths open went. That's what he's saying. He's saying there is a sin that leads to death. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. If you deny Jesus Christ, is there any eternal life? There's no opportunity for it. That is a sin that leads to death. And so we have to make sure that we examine ourselves, and that's not the only sin. We're going, to see, we're going to see some others here in just a few minutes. So let's look at the false teachings. So in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, we're going to address the first false teaching and the first examination of ourselves to see whether or not we're walking in the faith. Verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and we proclaim to you. So here's, here's what I taught you. Here's what you should know that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say... So here's the false teaching that's being taught. Here's what they say. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Here's the first false teaching. These false teachers have convinced this church that you can walk in darkness. Literally, you can practice a lifestyle of sin and have fellowship with God. And what does John say about that teaching? Anybody that says that is a liar. Why? Because God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. Listen, how many churches do we have today... Um, we were talking about one in Sunday school about a guy that was talking about the success of his church and he said very plainly, he said, the reason my church is so successful is because I just stay in my lane. And he said, well, what is your lane? He said, well, I'm an encourager. I'm, I'm somebody that, that I just... In, uh, my job is to inspire people. My not, job's not to judge people and, and not to, to, to point out sin. That's what, you have, that's what you have in many churches today. Nobody wants to talk about the wrath of God anymore. Nobody wants to talk about the sin that we must repent of. But instead, you have churches coming in here today saying, hey, 
You can walk in darkness and have fellowship with God. Wrong. You got main denominational churches today, mainline churches that will teach you that you can be a homosexual and be a pastor in the church. Now again, that's just, that's just one example. That's just one sin. I'm not here this morning to say that that's the only sin. That's not. you got some churches say you can live in adultery and still keep your job as a preacher. you got ch- some churches that, that'll say you can be a liar and a thief and you can walk in all these things and we're just going to love you. Let me explain something to you. You cannot say you have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. Now, does that mean that you're not going to have any sin in your life? Well, let's keep reading because we need to figure out if that's what John's teaching here. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. But look at verse 8. But if we say we have no sin, what do we do? So here again, if we say, every time you see that, what he's doing is he's pointing out what these false teachers are teaching, how they're deceiving them. They're coming in and they're saying, you can walk in darkness and have fellowship with God. And now they come in and they say, the truth of the matter is, there's really no such thing as sin. I mean, Jesus has paid it all. You don't have to worry about sin. There's really no such thing as sin anymore. And that's a lie. He says, if we say we have no sin, guess what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what does a true Christian look like? Because here's what the false Christian looks like. The one that does not have eternal life is the one that literally believes that he can walk in his darkness and stay in his darkness and that he can have fellowship with God. You do not have eternal life. Can I say that again? Not not judging you lovingly, lovingly to you. If you really believe that you can walk in your darkness and have fellowship with God, you do not have eternal life. You are not born again. And you need to be born again. Let me keep reading, but here's what a true Christian looks like in verse 9. But if we what? Confess our sins. And... If we'll do that, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. The first test is can you live in sin and be comfortable? Not a born-again Christian. You will not live in sin and just be okay with it. Let me tell you something. If the Holy Spirit is in you, He's eating you alive. He is eating you alive. And you can quench it. You can throw all the water you want on it. You can grieve it. The Bible tells us and warns us, says don't do that, right? But He says very plainly, you are not going to walk in darkness and be comfortable in it, and practice it, and have fellowship with God. That is very important. If you do, His Word is not in us. But on the other hand, He's not saying you're not going to have sin. 
He's saying, if you will confess your sin, and that's what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. That's the whole point of conviction. We ought to be living a life that is constantly coming back to God, confessing, God, I am sorry that I am this. I'm sorry that I do this. I'm sorry that this is what my desires are. And I'm sorry that this is where my mind goes. And I'm sorry that this is what is still in my heart. And I hate it. And God says, if you'll confess your sins, I'm faithful. To do what? To forgive. And to do what else? To cleanse from what? All of your unrighteousness. That's what a child of God that has been born again looks like. Y'all tracking with me? Y'all wake up this morning. Some of y'all need to hear this. It's sleeping. (laughs) Can I get right with you this morning, church? You are not going to walk in darkness and have fellowship with Him. But you will sin and be convicted and confess your sin and trust that He will forgive you and cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. That's the first false teaching. And the second thing, let me, that's the first false teaching, but let me dig into that just a little bit more. Here's what He's saying. You're not going to be born again and stay the same. There will be a transformation process. Y'all look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 18. Look what he says. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. And let me explain that very quickly and you can stay on this right here. All he's saying here is this. When Moses got the law... You remember what happened? The glory of God was so rich that His face was blazing, right? And He covered it because they couldn't look on the glory of God without getting scared of it, alright? But when their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant or the Old Law, the same veil remains unlifted. In other words, when they look at the law, the glory of God that we can see in it, because if you read the law and you saw somebody that does not lie, that does not steal, that does not commit adultery, that keeps all of it in perfection, if you could see that person, that's an amazing person, right? But he says here that the same veil remains unlifted. In other words, they still can't see the glory of God looking at the old covenant. Because only through Christ is the veil for the glory of God taken away. Y'all tracking with me? Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. They cannot see the trueness of the glory of God. They see it, but it's like looking through a veil. But when one turns to the Lord, what happens? The veil is removed. Alright? Now the Lord is the what? The Spirit. You are born again, it's because you are born of the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from your sin. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. In other words, with unveiled face we're looking at Jesus, right? Because in Jesus the veil is taken away. Alright? So we all with an unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord by looking at Jesus, looking at the life of Jesus, looking at the love of Jesus. 
And as we behold it and we gaze at Jesus, look what happens. We are being what? Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Here's the point of this entire text. You will not be born again and stay the same. I'm sorry. If the Lord is in you, the Spirit of God is in you, a transformation will begin to take place. From one degree of glory to another, what does that mean? That means that today you are this person, tomorrow you're this person, tomorrow you're this person. I'm not the same Christian I was 10 years ago. I'm not the same Christian I was 20 years ago. I'm not the same Christian today that I was yesterday. From one degree of glory to another, I've been transformed. You will not live in a life as a Christian and not be transformed. Are y'all taking the test yet? Because if you don't see the transformation taking place in your life, if you don't see the hatred for sin, the confession of your sin, the repentance from your sin, if you do not see that today and you have no trouble living in sin, I'm sorry to tell you, you are not born again. It is not possible. You say, preacher, who are you to tell me I'm not? I'm just telling you what the Word of God said. I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. And the opposite of that is, you're not going to know that you have eternal life if you fail the test. As a matter of fact, you'll know just the opposite. The second thing. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Here's the second false teaching. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, or the appeasement for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Now, is He talking about as long as you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't murder, you don't commit adultery, you don't covet? Is that what He's talking about? What are His commandments? Well, let's keep reading first. So this is how we know. Verse 4, Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar. So again, here's what they're saying. They're saying we know Him, but they're not following Him. We know Him, but we're not walking in His ways. Whoever says, I know Him, does, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Okay, so the next question is, okay, John, if the test is that i got to keep His commandments, then what's His commandments? Well, keep reading with me. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment. So this is not a new commandment. But it's an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Let me show you an example of it. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. There's the first commandment. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second commandment is like it, is what Jesus said. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, this is what it says. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Here are the commandments of Jesus Christ. Remember when the lawyer came up to him, testing him, and said, Teacher, what are the greatest commandments? He said, Well, I'll tell you what the greatest commandments are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then he says, And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hinge all the law and the prophets, right? So what's he talking about following his commandments? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment. <laughs> So it's not an old commandment, it's not a new commandment, it's not an old commandment, or it's an old commandment, but at the same time, it is a new commandment, and it's new because Jesus has shown you how to do it. Before Jesus come, you didn't know how to love the Lord your God. You couldn't. Before Jesus come, you didn't know how to love your neighbors yourself. You couldn't. So it's an old and it's a new. Keep reading which is true in Him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so what you see in that is very simple. You see that if we are born of God, we are given new passions, new hearts. We experience the love of God in us. And because we experience this love, what naturally overflows from us is love for others. Let me tell you something. The truth of the matter is I don't have no choice but to love you. And I don't say that like, I don't have no choice but to love you. I say that like, I can't help it. I can't help it. You make me mad. <laughs> you, you, you frustrate me. I have to be long-suffering sometimes. I have to be forbearing and hold up under your flaws and failures sometimes. My wife said we do, you too. <laughs> and she's exactly right. She's exactly right. But the point is this. I love you. You are God's child. You are my brother and you are my sister and I, I cannot hate you. Let me show you the example he gives. Go with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Here's the example he gives us to see it. 1 John chapter, chapter 3, verse 10. Yeah, I got about to where I got to last week. <clears throat> I'm telling you, I've been preaching 20-something years and I ain't got this thing right yet. So, um, y'all pray for me. Yeah, that, we, I went to a conference yesterday, uh, this weekend, a preaching conference, and they said, oh, the average sermon ought to be about 35 to 40 minutes. <laughs> who's, who's he talking to? <clears throat> Alright, so 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, look what it says. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And then, nor is the one who does not what? 
Love his brother, but keep reading. Verse 11, here's the example he gives us see. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's what we should do. If you're born again, that's what should come natural from you, is you're to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. But look at verse 12. We should not, here's what we should not do. We should not be like Cain. Here's the worst example of all. He was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Now listen to this. Let me explain it to you. Cain hated Abel. Not for any other reason other than the fact that he hated to see somebody doing what is good. Because he came to God, he was a worshiper of God too. But the difference was he came to God and he brought the best he had. I mean, he was probably excited when he came to God. He came up there and he had his best carrots. I bet you them suckers was that big around. I mean, he had carrots, he had broccoli, he had, he had the best of his crop. He had corn that you ain't never seen before in your life. He brought the best he had to bring. But it was not what God required. He thought he could come to God and say, I'm going to give you what is my best and you're going to be okay with it. How many of you know that God is not okay with your best? Because even your best is like filthy rags in the eyes of God. Abel, on the other hand, was righteous. And he came to God recognizing, I got, I got nothing. But what he asked for, I'm going to bring him. And he brings him his best lamb. Not because that's his best, but because that's what God said to, ask, to bring. And Abel comes and he does what's good and he does what's right. And you know what the world hates Worldly people, people that have evil hearts, get jealous when they look at the church and look at you and look at other people trying to do better and confessing their sins and trying to do right and they look at it and they hate it. Naturally, it's just what happens. And that is not the way that it should be between me and you because ultimately it exposed itself and manifested itself in Cain killing his brother. He became a murderer because he hated his brother. And let me tell you, this is the worst case scenario. Let me tell you the best case scenario. The best case scenario is that we're not willing to be long-suffering with each other. That's hatred. We're not willing to be gentle with each other. We're not willing to be kind to each other. We're not willing to forgive each other. Oh, you hurt me too bad to forgive. God said, you know what you did to me? And so here's what he says very plainly. He's saying if you are truly loving your brother, then you're experiencing the love that God has given you. And what should come to you, the more you recognize that, is it will flow out to others. How many times have you had to forgive your brothers and sisters in this congregation? How many times have you had to be gentle with them? How many times have you had to bear up and under their flaws and their failures? And yet how many people will walk away from each other? because of those faults and failures. Not because of false teachings, just because I don't want to show love. Now I'm not saying you can't be a Christian and have those kind of sins, but I'm saying this, a true Christian will humble themselves, recognize it, and do what? Confess, repent, 
and trust in the forgiveness of God and love their brother. And so that's how this applies to you today is how is it that you can look into your life and say that, yes, I know I've been born of God because I do love my brothers. I do love the family of God. But that's not what they were doing. They were saying, hey, I don't need you. And how many of you have ever felt that way about one of your brothers or sisters? Come on, y'all. everybody else is liars. Anybody else? I mean, I have felt that way. I have felt that way when I counsel people sometimes. I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I'm giving up on you because the truth of the matter is, I don't need you. Wrong. Very wrong. Very wrong. And I have to confess that and I have to repent of that and I have to trust that God is going to forgive me and cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. Let's keep reading. We'll finish this up. I've only got one more, so I'm going to go with it, y'all. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you in verse 13 of chapter 3. Don't be surprised. That's what evil hearts do. They hate righteous deeds. They hate seeing you change your life. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. There's the evidence. And then whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you do not know and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that, we, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the others. That's, what it, that's the best case scenario of showing love. The best case scenario, just like the worst case was your hatred leading you to kill a brother, the best case is it causes you to lay your life down for them. Y'all tracking with me? So that's the best case. But... Here is the application for you because how many times does God actually require you to lay your life down for your brother? In, in, literally. Alright, but let's keep going. Verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Here's what he's saying. These false teachers were coming in saying... I ain't got to share none of my stuff with you. What's mine is mine. And they could sit back and watch their suffering brothers and sisters in the church, probably going hungry, probably not having the shelter, the things that they need. They could sit back and just watch it. And they had no problem with it. And he comes in here and he says, listen, best case scenario is you ought to be willing to give your life for them but you won't even give up your earthly goods for them? How does the love of God abide in you? You know what the answer to that is? It don't. We ought to examine ourselves and see if we can see a brother and sister in need and close our heart up against them and just say, I'm not going to help. I wish I had time to take you back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Anybody remember that parable? A priest, a Levite and a, um, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. I think I'd know that, good Samaritan. <laughs> priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. They pass by a robber. Y'all know the story, I'll cut it short. The priest passes by on the other side of the road where he don't even have to see him and keeps going. The Levite, who is a child of God of the Jewish tribe of Levi, passes by, looks at him, the child of God just walks right around. And then the Samaritan. The Samaritan and Jews hated each other. Jews wouldn't even walk across Samaritan dust. lest they. That's the reason why they had to wipe the dust off of their feet. 
It was Samaritan dust. They hated each other. Yet the Samaritan is the one that walked by, saw the man in need. He went over there, he bandaged him up, he took him to the inn, he kept him there a night, he gave the man some money, he said, hey, I'll come back and you take care of him and if I owe you any more, I'll give you more. And Jesus asked the lawyer that was testing him about love and who his neighbor was, Jesus said, who do you think was that man's neighbor? He said, the one that showed mercy. Jesus said, why don't you go and do likewise? The point being is that if we can close our heart up against our brothers and sisters, then how does the love of God really abide in you? Because you ought to be somebody that will give you life for them because that's what He did for you, right? Y'all with me? All right, last one. I'll make it quick. 1 John, I've already, I've already talked about this some, but look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 21, one more time. This is the other false teaching. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no truth is of a lie. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son and has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So if you continue in the gospel, here's what he's saying. If you continue in your faith, that you are trusting in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ and that alone, then you have a relationship with the Son. And if you have the Son and confess the Son, you have the Father. And if you abide in that, it'll prove that, verse 25, and this is the promise that He has made to us, eternal life. But I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to, to deceive you. So Jesus is the Christ because listen, and here's why it's important. You see this happening today. No different. You got, you got religions out there teaching today that Jesus was not God in the flesh. That He was a created being. Jehovah's Witness. People say on the surface Jehovah's Witness looks like, you know what, I don't care what on the surface looks like. Let me tell you the one thing not just one, but the main thing about Jehovah's Witnesses that cuts them out of eternal life. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They say He is a created being that God created. Let me tell you something. If Jesus is not God, He cannot die for your sins because there's none good but one. And who's good? And only a perfect sacrifice can die for your sins and be acceptable. Jesus has to come. He has to live a perfect life. And no one can live a perfect life unless He is Psalm chapter 49. I think I gave Nathan that one, but we probably don't have time to go through it. But the point is, in Psalm chapter 49, verse 7 through 15, I think it is, he said, listen, who can pay the ransom for a man's life? Look, truly no man can ransom another. You know why? If you've got two murderers in the courtroom and the judge is giving the sentence to the one murderer and another murderer steps up and says, Oh, judge, listen, if you'll let him go, I'll pay his payment. What does the judge say to that guy? How are you going to pay for his? you got to pay for yours. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is what? Costly and it'll never suffice. Nathan, can you take me to verse 15 in Psalm 49? 
But look what God says He'll do. So a man can't ransom a man, right? It's too costly. You can't pay for it. But God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave, for He will receive me. Who's going to pay the ransom? God is going to pay the ransom. If Jesus is not God, if you deny that He came in the flesh as God in the flesh, you cannot be saved. Y'all tracking with me? You cannot be saved. God has to pay your ransom. And John says, listen, I seen it with my eyes. I heard it with my ears. I handled it with my hands. I know He is who He says He is. And He proved that He was the Christ. Now, closing. 1 John chapter 5. Here's where we sum it up. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Let's read them together very quickly. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So He addresses the first false teaching, right? He sums it up. Everybody who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That means that everyone who does not, what? Alright. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So here we see love for our brothers, right? So if you believe in Jesus and Him being God in the flesh, Him being the Christ that died for our sins, if you love one another, if you love the people that have been born of God, and then verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And here's where you see the transformation. He's saying very plainly, if you've truly been born of God, you believe in Jesus and you trust the gospel to the end. If you've truly been born of God, you love your brothers because that's what happens when you're born of God. Alright? And if you have truly been born of God, you overcome the world. The desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes in 1 John chapter 2. I'm not going to take you back there. The point being is that there is a transformation that takes place in you. You're not going to be comfortable in sin. And then keep reading. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Verse 5, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now go over to verse 16 and 17 with me. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. This is where I'll close. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. Here he's talking about these false teachers and anybody else. Because now we, as we learned this weekend in my conference, we call for a response. Now is your time to respond. If anyone sees yourself committing any of these sins, as long as it's not a sin that leads unto death, ask God. And He'll give life. And He'll give life. And then keep reading. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. What good does it do you to pray for somebody that don't believe in Jesus? That sin is not going to be forgiven. You can pray for them, but that sin is not going to be forgiven. 
All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And you could keep reading to the end yourself. Here's the point. This is it. If you are a child of God, you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is God in the flesh, that He paid your ransom to pay for your sins. If you continue in that belief and you have been born of God, you will love the brothers and there will be love in your heart because that's the transformation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, the Apostle Paul said, There's no need for me to teach you anything about loving. Look here. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. Why? For you yourselves have been what? Taught by God to love one another. If you've truly experienced the love of God in Christ, guess what? You know it. You know it. Now, if you're not loving the way you should and you're convicted of it this morning and you see it, you know what John would tell you this morning? He's not going to tell you you're not born again. If you feel that conviction for it, here's what he'd say to you. Confess. Confess and repent and trust that He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. And then finally, if you don't see the transformation taking place in your life, but you just continue in sin and there's no problem with that, you have every reason to come before Him this morning if He's drawing you and humble yourself down and say, God, save me from my sin. God, I trust in Jesus. God, I believe in Your only Son. And God, I put my faith and my trust in Him. And the Lord Himself will give you life. But the response is up to you and what you do with it. The Word has been preached. Faith cometh by what? Hearing. Hearing. You've heard. (laughs) You've heard. I'm going to walk out of here with a smile on my face this morning because I know you've heard. But what you do with it is up to you. If I can help you, you come see me. We'll minister to you. Um, If Nick can help you, he's up here with you as well. But I would love nothing more than to walk you through the Scriptures and help you see what it means to have eternal life or to help you to confess and repent of your sins and receive the forgiveness and cleansing that God has for each and every one of His children. If y'all would stand this.